Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. This is Steve Anderson. Our Mentor of the Month has been a good friend and acquaintance of mine and of the Crown Council for over 20 years. Dr. Woody Oaks is well-known throughout dentistry for his great clinical excellence being a dentist, but also for his founding and running Excellence in Dentistry and publishing The Profitable Dentist now for nearly 25 years. In 1987, he founded Excellence in Dentistry, which is an information marketing company for dentists and their teams. They publish a magazine, The Profitable Dentist, have a CD interview of the month, coaching club, as well as many, many other resources that they've provided for over two and a half decades. In the 1990s, he started and sold several multi-million dollar companies. One such company manufactured and sold the tiny video cameras dentists and hygienists use when they examine your mouth and then put these captured images on a large color TV monitor for you to see. Also in the 90s, he pioneered the field of digital radiography, film with x-rays now used in most dental offices. He's written 17 books within the field of dentistry, along with two novels, both bestsellers on Amazon.com, and has lectured all across the United States and Canada. Woody is also one of the most prolific dental copywriters ever. His sales letters have sold an estimated $35 million worth of products. Today, we've asked Woody to share his decades' worth of wisdom and experience with sharing with us 21 ways that have made him a better dentist. Woody, welcome, and thanks for being our Crown Council Mentor of the Month this month. Thank you, Steve. It's great to speak with you and all your Crown Council people that are on this call. So why don't you start off? I know you've got a rapid-fire list of just 21 things that have made a big difference in your personal and professional career. Why don't we start with the very first one about uh, why you became a dentist in the first place. Well, Steve, when I was a little boy, um, on Saturdays, my parents used to drop me off uh, at my grandfather's office. And my grandfather was a, a dentist. But before that, he was a professional baseball player. And, you know, when you're that age, uh, knowing a professional baseball player is, you know, a really, really big deal. But they would drop me off in his office. I had so much respect for him. And I would see all the wonderful things that he did for people. And uh, I just decided that, you know, I wanted to do what he was doing. And, you know, one of the things that uh, dentists sometimes don't think about is uh, everything we do for people is good for him. I mean, I just can't think of one dental procedure, you know, even extraction, uh, you know, it's good for that patient or you would be taking the tooth out. And, you know, if you're an attorney, uh, you kind of wake up, and I have a nephew out in out in, uh, out in Colorado, and he says, you know, I just hate to go to work, Woody, because, you know, I'm evicting people from houses, and he said, I just hate it. So I don't want to live that way. You know, being a dentist is probably the best profession in the world because everything we do for people is good for them. Um, you're a big proponent, I know, of giving back, or what we call in the Crown Council, doing good. And uh, that's pretty high on your list. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, you know, my father was very much uh, involved in charities, you know, March of Dimes and a lot of different things. And so I learned at an early age that you, know, you get a lot of joy out of giving back and, you know, not trying to keep everything for yourself. 
So I guess that's where it started. You know, I can still remember standing on the sidewalks in New Albany, Indiana, and we had that table collecting dimes for uh, you know polio victims, and I just thought that was really cool. And from that point on, I always try to make an effort to give back. Say, give us an example of some things you've done over the years to do that. Well, I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anybody before on an interview or whatever. But as you know, I speak to a lot of dentists, um, you know, probably dozens of dentists uh, every month. And what happens is I oftentimes have a dentist who's really struggling. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a lady dentist, and, you know, I can't even go into it. But what I've done, uh, you know, our Destin Anniversary Seminar is coming up this year in April. It'll be the 25th anniversary. So for 20-something years, I've taken a dentist who really needs help, and I've paid for their airfare, their hotel, their lodging, their food, just to come to Destin. And some of these people have had complete turnarounds, uh, you know, by that experience. Uh, you know, a couple didn't, but, uh, you know, it's just something I've done for many years. Excellent. Uh, talk to us a little about CE. You're, you've been one of the biggest CE providers in dentistry, but I also know continuing education has played a huge part in your career. Tell us about your first your first experience that put you on that path. Yeah, I mean, when I was a young, struggling dentist, I got this sales letter from a guy named Dr. Earl Estep down in Athens, Texas. It was a very well-written letter and, you know, talked about everything he was doing and to be honest, I just didn't believe it. I thought, well, there's no way a dentist can be doing the numbers he's doing and all that. And so anyway, he was doing a seminar down in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and I wanted to go there and hear him, but I had no money. And, you know, my car at that time was a 61 Volkswagen with a hole in the floorboard. And I thought, <laughs> well, I'm going to go get Steve, you, you're a Volkswagen guy. I remember that. Oh, yeah. When you drove up to Walter's uh, farm, I believe. That's right. you got a good memory. Yep. And uh, so anyway, the um, I got this flyer about early step. I didn't have the money to attend, so I called Dr. Estep and introduced myself. And I said, you know, you know, I really want to come down and hear you speak, but I don't have any money. And we talked a little while, and he said, well, you know, come as my guest. And it's really interesting because I got down there, and you know, I had to stay in a real uh, seedy hotel because I didn't have money, uh, and then went to hear Estep speak. And if anybody on the call remembers Earl, he walks up to the podium, he puts a six-pack of Coors Light on the podium, and then all during the presentation he drinks those beers and throws the uh, empties into the audience. But it was, you know, absolutely a, a life-changing experience for me. It was, you know, it was a two-day seminar. And I always tell everybody there wouldn't be excellence in dentistry or the proper dentist had it not been for Earl Step. So he's truly one of the great dentists in the country. Uh, one of his books had a big impact on you as well, is that right? Yeah, The Obvious Secret is the first book that Earl wrote. And basically, to, you know, kind of give you the Cliff Notes version, what it says is when people are stressed, they can't make decisions. And Earl was having a real problem uh, getting people to accept dentistry. And then his assistants kind of called him aside one day and said, E-Step, uh, the reason people are not saying yes is you're putting too much pressure on him. And he thought about it and thought about it, and you know, he tried different things and just staff people. I think it was Mary Paraline was one of his chairside assistants. And uh, she told him, said, E-Step, you know, you got you to back off a little bit. 
and not not stress these people. And he started doing that, and in a couple months' time, his practice completely turned around. And the Obvious Secret book, which I still have a copy of, uh, is an amazing book. If listeners have not read it, you need to get a copy of The Obvious Secret. Got it. Thank you. Uh, tell us about starting Lean and Mean. Well, I've been a proponent of Lean and Mean all my career. Uh, I heard Dr. Uh, Rick Kushner speak, and some of you may recognize him. He owns all the uh, Comfort Dental offices around the country. But, uh, again, one of the best seminars ever ever attended, and uh, you know he talks about a lot of things, partnerships and, um, well, just a whole bunch of stuff, but one of the biggest things I took out of that was really focus on your um, on your overhead and your equipment and everything like that. And every dental office I've had, I've always used uh, pre-owned equipment, um, and you save 50% at least. And so I, I really watched the numbers as far as overhead and um, you know pre-owned equipment. I buy a lot of stuff on uh, Amazon and eBay. You know, if you want a diagnostic dent, you can go on uh, Amazon, buy it for $2,000. Um, so I'm just a big proponent. I've been that way all my life, and I owe that to Rick Kushner. Tell me about your philosophy about debt. We're in a, an age now in dentistry where dental students are coming out of school with three or $400,000 worth of debt, plus then if, uh, you know, down the road they want to start the practice. I mean, debt is, is huge today, especially compared to perhaps in the past. What's your whole philosophy about debt in general? Well, the... Uh, you know, obviously you want to carry as little debt as possible, but, you know, I've talked to a lot of students just out of school, and what I've heard is the average student is graduating with uh, $300,000 of debt. And, of course, the fatal mistake is you marry a classmate, and then you got $600,000 of debt. So you know, a lot <laughs> of people right. don't think of that, but that's the way it is. So I encourage a young dentist uh, to marry somebody other than, you know, one of the people in their class. <laughs> That's that's good dating advice. <laughs> Get that deal figured out before you go to dental school. That's right. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, you know, in real estate, they say that the secret of real estate is location, location, location. Tell us how that applies in dentistry. Well, absolutely. Um, one of the big mistakes that dentists make is they go back to a town that they really like. So in Indiana... Uh, Indiana University is in Bloomington, Indiana, and they have like a bazillion dentists there because everybody wants to be in Bloomington. But yeah. you can't do that. Uh, you know, going to a place just because you like it, you have to find a place that you can go to and there's high demand for a dentist. And one of the tools you can use is something called zipskinny.com, and it shows you, uh, you know, kind of the demographics of different areas and what the medium household income is. So that's one thing I would use uh, to start with. I also know that uh, dentists in small towns seem to make a lot more money than uh, dentists in other locations. And a lot of times you don't want to go to a town like Ripley, Mississippi, but you know I have a good friend, Chris Griffin, who is doing about $2 million a year in uh, this little town of 5,000 people. So I think that's very important. And as far as the, uh, the location of the office, preferable is a, you know, a corner lot, with good exposure, uh, I like to see about 50,000 cars pass a day. Uh, sometimes you won't have that, but that's what you're shooting for. Uh, strip malls are really hot right now for dentists. And, uh, you know, the other thing is you do not want to be in a professional building if you can help it because 
that's probably the worst location. I've seen some dentists make it in those locations, but most of them don't do as well as they could be if they were in a freestanding building on a corner lot uh, or on in a strip mall. My current office is in a strip mall, and that's you know what I would prefer people do. Excellent. All right, so along with us, tell us about uh, signage. Well, this is interesting. Um, back when I started my practice in 1974, um, I don't think any dentist in town had an outside sign. And I decided to go, you know, totally go for it. So I put up a sign and, uh, you know, Woodside Dental had my name, had our phone number. Uh, I won't give that phone number out because the doctor who bought the practice still uses it. But uh, anyway, uh, all the other dentists in town got really upset. I mean, what's this young guy doing putting a sign out in his front yard? I mean, that's just so disgraceful to our profession and everything. So I got turned into the state board. And um, they came down uh, with a ruler. I thought, what were all these guys doing? You know, they introduced themselves, we're from the state board. I'm like, okay. And they're like, you know, go ahead and do what you do. We just need to check out a couple things. Well, I didn't know it, but in the um, Indiana state, you know, dental laws or whatever, they said if you put out a sign, the letters could not be more than six inches tall. Well, by dumb luck, my letters were six inches tall. So you were right there. The hook. Yeah, I was off the hook. Of course, the other dentist in town didn't like me for a while, but... Uh, you know, having a good outside sign is really, really important. Oh, one and other thing I'll mention, Steve. Yeah, go ahead. Um, a lot of dentists, you know, when they when they market through some of these marketing companies, and there's good ones and there's bad ones, but one of the biggest mistakes I see is they'll get with a marketing company and they'll send out postcards to a, you know, five-mile radius of the office. And I'm really not a big fan of that because if you walk up to ten people on the street and say, would you? Are you trying to find a new dentist? Nine out of ten will say, "No, I already got somebody I'm interested in." So I think you need to put your money in marketing to new move-ins only, because people just moving into town, they don't have a dentist. Uh, if they get a postcard, they're more likely to, you know, call your office. But I've seen a lot of my coaching clients go with a marketing company, and they print up brochures and business cards and. You know, great big package, very expensive package, and they don't get very many calls for new patients. So that's why I'm saying, um, you know, market to new move-ins only. If you need more, then you might consider going out uh, different parts of the city. Got it. You've done a tremendous amount over the years to help train dental teams as part of the continuing education you provided in your in your book. Uh, in general, your philosophy, how important is your team? Well, it's probably the most important thing there is. Uh, Of course, patients are always number one, but I have always tried to get the best people I can get, uh, and I pay them very well. Uh, I remember from a lecture I took way back when, uh, Dr. Omar Reed said, uh, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. And I've found that to be true. You know, every time I thought, well, let's let's cut my overhead a little bit and let's hire her, even though she doesn't know anything, it's kind of backfired on me. So, um, you know, one of the things I do when I get really good people, and they don't have to be people with dental experience. I mean, somebody who's real motivated and has a great personality. You know, I can train them to be a, a dental assistant or, uh, you know, something like that very quickly. But what you have to do, you have to attend a lot of meetings. 
uh, in seminars, and I prefer the you know kind of the uh, kind of the jumbo meetings that are like two and a half days, something like that, uh, because when you think about it, if you go to like an all-day meeting out of town, uh, you know your office is closed and you lose some production, and you get X number of CE credits. But if you go to one of these uh, mega events, you get you know up to 18 credits uh, just by attending you know a two and a half day seminar. Then you're only out of the office two and a half days versus uh, maybe eight days if you're going to eight separate seminars. But you have to do that. Um, you know every time I go to meetings, I learn stuff. Um, you know, if you're not going to uh, if you're not going to seminars, uh, you're really losing out. And the other thing is, a lot of doctors, when they go to seminars, they don't take their staff people, and that's a big mistake because you take a course, you come back, and you're all fired up, and then you try to convey that to your staff people, and it just doesn't work. So when you take a seminar or take a course, always take your staff people with you. So let me run two two questions by you for your response. If a dentist says to you, Woody, I train my team, but I don't have the right team members right now, so I'm going to wait until I get the right team, your response? Well, you can't wait because it's going to, you know, every day you have the wrong people on the bus, it's going to hurt you. And dentists are afraid uh, to fire people. You know, they'll keep, you know, there'll be somebody at the front desk who's related somehow to the dentist or one of the assistants and they're just kind of chicken about firing that person. And you just kind of have to look at it as, you know, this is your livelihood, this, this dental practice, and if you've got somebody who's underperforming, uh, you need to get rid of them. And oftentimes what happens in a practice, say you have four staff members, uh, two or three will come to you and say, look, you know, Sally's just not uh, pulling her weight, and we're not going to hit bonus or do anything else as long as she's on the team. So when that happens, uh, you know, you have to move quick and get rid of that person. I remember Walter, you know, had some tremendous uh, verbal skills, and he talked about freeing up somebody's future. Remember <laughs> you remember that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the second question related is someone who says, you know, I invest so much in my team, and then they quit, and I've lost that whole investment, so why should I, why should I waste all of that money if they're just going to quit? Well, respond? Just going to, well, if they're just going to quit, uh, nine times out of ten, you have the wrong people. I mean, there's examples where somebody, you know, you send them to a course on Invisalign, and then uh, they get a better offer across town, and, you know, they decide to go there. Um, you can't really prevent that, but if you have the right people, you know, they are very much uh, grateful that you're taking them to courses. And, uh, you know, if you treat them right, they're going to stay with you a long time. Um, I had an assistant that was with me for 28 years. I had another one that was with me 21 years. Uh, hygienists that were there for almost 20 years. So uh, the doctors who talk about, you know, turnover and I can't find any good people in my town, uh, it's just not true. You know, if you treat them well, uh, they're going to stay with you. And even if they, if you do have some that leave, you got the best of what you you could get from them while they were there. Correct. Uh, let's shift over now and talk about patients. Um, you, you mentioned some really sound ideas earlier on about making the patient comfortable and that people don't make good decisions or decisions at all when they're under stress. 
your philosophy, if you will, about uh, patient care and case presentation. Tell us about Woody's philosophy. You know, and uh, you know, I'm going to make this fairly quick, but you know, I'm a really against hard sell. I mean, that's kind of what Eastep was talking about in the book, uh, mm-hmm. Obvious Secret. So, uh, you know, I don't believe in that or not. I don't believe in that. But uh, something I learned from Dr. Mike Abernathy that seems to work very well, uh, first of all, he asked permission, you know, to look at your mouth. Because think right. about, you know, the mouth is, you know, kind of sacred, I think, uh, you know, for so many reasons. And you just walk in and stick a mirror in somebody's mouth, you know, that's kind of, uh, you're kind of intruding on them. So what I always do is say, you know, Mrs. Smith, do you mind if I take a look at, look at your mouth? So you're getting permission, you know, to look at that person's mouth and then telling them what you think needs to be done. And then what Abernathy does, you know, after he or before he makes the, uh, you know, he uses an internal camera, starts in the upper right, and you use co-diagnosis where you kind of talk your way around the mouth. You know, number one is your wisdom tooth. A lot of people need to have that removed. It looks like you have enough room. Now this tooth right here has a broken filling. We're going to need to replace that. So you just walk around the mouth that way, and of course using the internal camera, which I would recommend, uh, you know, for every dentist listening, uh, the patient sees what's going on, and then Mike would say something like, you know, before he starts that exam that we just talked about, uh, Miss Smith, you can do all of this, some of this, or none of this, and when you say that, you can just see the patient relax, you know, their shoulders kind of relax because uh, this is giving you permission not to have to do all this today or in the near future. He's showing you what's there, what needs to be done. Uh, you know, he's asked permission to, you know, place his mirror or the internal camera in your mouth. But at the same time, he's telling you that we're going to show you what needs to be done, but we can do it on your, you know, on your time frame. Got it. Uh, continuing on with case presentation, tell us about your your other case presentation secrets, what's worked the best for you? Well, I can tell you what hasn't worked. You know, back in the day, I took a course from Pete Dawson, who I really like. But this is the deal where you do your dog and pony show and bring bring them back in a couple days later, and that never worked for me. But what I use now is something called the PASS system, P-A-S. And basically the way it works is you show the patient the problem, so it's probably like, you know, it can be a cracked tooth in the upper bicuspid. And uh, one little trick here, we use uh, Thompson's denture marker, which is purple, and we kind of put that on the crack, rinse it with water, and that way it shows up real well using the internal camera. So, you know, Sally, here's the problem. You have a crack in this tooth, uh, and then you go into what's called uh, agitate, so you agitate the problem. You know, I had a patient like this in uh, a couple of days ago, and they had this crack in their tooth, and I told them to get a crown so it didn't crack all the way through and, you know, need a root canal and a post and build up, and, you know, maybe we couldn't save it at all. So she decided not to do anything, and then we get a call on a Saturday morning, and her class reunion's on uh, Friday afternoon, and that tooth is split all the way through. So that's what could happen to your tooth if we don't do something. So notice what I'm doing. I'm agitating the problem. Then I'm giving them them an example of what might happen. And then S on PAS is uh, solution. You know, if we go ahead and place a crown in this tooth, 
probably we can keep that tooth from cracking and you can save it the rest of your life. So again, it's the POS system, P-A-S, and that's problem, agitate the problem, and then offer a solution. Got it. Excellent. That is a great short course and case presentation. What do you have to Thank you. <laughs> I think so. Um, you are one of the great dental entrepreneurs. You have uh, not only run a dental practice, but a publishing company, continue education. You've been into interval cameras. You've done a lot of stuff. So what's your philosophy about being a jack of all trades? Because you've done a lot of stuff. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I don't know. I just enjoy being busy and you know, in the practice, um, you know, I was always doing a lot of procedures that nobody else was doing in town. One was called the Occlusal Guide, which is, uh, you know, kind of, that kind of came along before Invisalign, and I did a lot of cases with that, and, you know, I was just always interested in doing, uh, you know, doing new things. And uh, as far as the intro camera, how that whole thing came to, to pass is, if some people on the call might remember, when the first intraoral cameras came out, they were $45,000. And I went to uh, somebody who had one, and I thought, this is really great, but I can't pay $45,000. So in high school, I was kind of one of these electronics geeks, and um, I decided to make my own intraoral camera one weekend. And I did, and I put it all together for about $2,500. And I thought, well, I can sell these to, you know, dentists for, um, you know, say $5,000, and I think that would, you know, help them a lot. And the other thing I thought, I can't just sell them the camera. I have to sell it to them and, you know, teach them how to use it. Exactly. So we had the idea of giving the course, uh, teaching them. Well, we gave the course. Before they can get into the course, they had to give us a check for $5,000. And we gave the course. And at the end of the course, if they liked what they heard, we gave them a camera, and they walked out with the camera. And I was pretty amazed because the first one we did, we had 21 people, and, you know, 20 kept the camera. So that's how it started. Um, you know, looking back, if I'd been a smart business person, I probably would have charged uh, 20000 a camera. And, uh, but I didn't do that because I, you know, I was trying to help the dentist. So, uh, yeah, I've been in a lot of different things. And, you know, you mentioned in the bio, uh, Felmus X-ray, I actually worked with David Schick. He brought me up to um, their lab in, in New York, and basically what he wanted me to do, they were having problems with the wires coming off the sensors, and we worked for a day or so, you know, showing him how to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've been in a lot of things. So what is your advice to another dentist in terms of getting into a lot of other stuff? I'm sorry, I didn't hear it, Steve. Um what what would your advice be to you know there's a lot of dentists who practice dentistry but they're in a lot they got their hands in a lot of different stuff what do you what's your take on that well i think you kind of have to focus on the things you like i mean you have these dentists who are jack of all trades you know they're doing sleep apnea they're doing implants they're doing uh bone grafting and and you know it's just uh it's just too much you know you can't be a jack of all trades and you know, what I do is kind of focus, or what I did, you know, I'm not in practice any longer, but uh, what I would recommend is that, you know, you be, uh, you just focus on the things you like to do. Now, I don't want you to become uh, what Dr. Charles Blair calls a referral donist, where you don't do oral surgery, so you refer that out. You don't do, don't do endo, you refer that out. You don't do ortho, you refer that out. Uh, 
that's not what I'm talking about. But if you have, you know, say you're doing some ortho, and for most GPs, it's really tough to make money doing ortho unless you're doing six-month smiles. Uh, any uh, general dentist can do Invisalign. It's really easy. But uh, things that you don't feel comfortable doing, uh, you know, that's what you refer out. For example, if you have, uh, we have a little chart uh, for endo, and there's a way of seeing which uh, which endos are going to be pretty easy. I mean, obviously, uh, teeth with a single root or bicuspid with uh, two roots, but then you get into the molars, and you know sometimes one root will have two uh, two nerves in it. So do what you you might be able to do. Um, you know, 80 percent of the endo there, but then why not send that other 20% to the endodontist, and then in turn, they're going to send stuff back to you. So that's kind of what I would recommend, Steve. Got it. No, good, good advice. Um, you've, been, you're, you've been a big proponent of education. Obviously, you've provided a ton of it uh, over your entire career to other dentists, so you must be it. I mean, obviously, Woody Oaks is a perpetual student. Uh, tell us about where you got that attitude and what you advise other dentists as far as staying educated. You know, Steve, I don't know where, where I got it. Uh, I taught school for one year before I you know, got into dental school, and you know, I love teaching, I love learning. And you know, like I said, I don't practice anymore, but I still go to a lot of courses. I mean, the last course I attended was uh, Botox and Dermaphil, and I just enjoy learning things. I mean, you know, I knew I was not going to do Botox and Dermaphil, but it was a great course, and I just wanted to know more about it, and I took it. You know, I also took the uh, Luminaires course. So, um, you know, I don't know. I think another thing is, uh, you know, we work with a lot of dentists and coach a lot of dentists, and if they're talking about things they're doing in the practice, like implants or Invisalign or uh, something else, I need to know something about that technique. And I can't really coach them if I don't. So, you know, somebody's telling me about Invisalign and they're having certain problem, then they kind of turn to me and say, well, have you ever seen that before and what do I need to do? Well, because I've been to the courses, I can tell them, yeah, here's what you need to do. So that's another part of it, Steve. But, you know, I just enjoy learning. And that, I think, is uh, that's the key, Woody, is in order to be a lifelong student, you have to have a love of learning. Otherwise, you're you're just you're not going to do it. And you've got that, obviously, and you've instilled that in a lot of other people. Uh, there is a, a saying that everybody's familiar with that I know you're a, a big proponent of: feel the fear and do it anyway. Tell us about that. Well, I was afraid to do difficult third molar uh, extractions, and you know I struggled with that for a number of years. I mean, I could I could do the easy ones, but uh, you know, once I got to a bony impaction, I mean, I would get it out, but it took forever, and I was probably uh, removing too much buckle bone and, you know, hurting the patient, you know, post-op. But um, I got a video, this is actually a VHS to tell you how long ago it is, from Dr. John Lyons, who's one of the highest producing dentists in uh, Canada. And I watched this thing, it it's a, uh, shows him taking out four wisdom teeth, and it's a live video, so I mean, from the time he starts to the time he gets them out. Uh, but he did four in 12 minutes. Wow. And I'm just, like, blown away because, I mean, on a good day, I can get one out in 12 minutes. And so, anyway, I just studied that, and, you know, I thought, well, you know, 
I got a couple cases coming up uh, this week, and I'm going to go ahead and try it, you know, because you know I got this new technique that I didn't learn in dental school. And you know, the first time I did, uh, it was still a little bit iffy, but after four or five cases, I mean, I was pretty good at it. And after a month, uh, I was real good at it. In fact, my oral surgeon called and said, "Are you mad at me?" I'm like, "No, where can I catch you?" <laughs> you, <laughs> don't, you don't send them anymore. Yeah, I said, you know, I want you to send me that point Z at Christmas, but yeah, I'm doing a lot of these cases by by myself right now. But that's kind of the story. Is you know, I know when you start something new, you're afraid of it, but you just have to jump in and and try it. But you have to have some education. I mean, you just can't jump in and say. I'm going to start doing a lot of wisdom teeth. You need to have something like this John Lyons um, uh, DVD. You know, watch that, study it, and you're ready to go. Copy genius, right, Woody? That's it. Don't copy mediocrity, as Walter used to say. That's right. Tell me about your relationship with your dental lab over the years and what kind of a difference that's made and what you did to make a difference. Yeah, um, that was probably you know, my lab guys. You know, was a good friend, uh, Pat Kelly, Kelly Dental Lab. You know, really good mm-hmm. lab. And uh, we were like two blocks down the street from my office. And uh, what I would do, you know, my off day was uh, Friday. As most dentists take Friday off, and I would just go down there and I wanted to see uh, other cases that dentists had sent in. And Steve. It was kind of embarrassing to see some of the stuff that was sent to the lab. I mean, um, you know, about half these impressions, you couldn't read the margins. You know, some of them, there's a lot of blood. Uh, really bad work. I mean, there were a couple that were pretty good. But uh, I just told Pat, I said, you know, I want to be the best dentist in town. And, you know, when I send you a case, if, if there's something wrong with it or you pour it up and, you know, you don't like the margin or you don't like the prep, uh I don't want you to go ahead and make it. I want you to call me, and, you know, I'll come down, and you can talk to me, and, you know, I'll do it again. I'll fix it and do the best I can. And, uh, you know, same thing looking at dentures. You know, most of the dentists don't know how to do a good post uh, You know, partials, we do something called an equipoise partial, which doesn't show class as much. But uh, I'm just going to tell all you listeners, if you've never been to your dental lab, I mean, some of you go when there's a problem, but don't just go for problems. You know, go there, uh, you know, look around at what other dentists are doing. And, you know, if, if the lab is not comfortable making a crown on the impression you sent, just say, hey, if you get an impression that doesn't work or, or the bite's off, send it to me, send it back to me, I'll get the patient back in. So that's why it's so important to visit the labs. And, Woody, as you know, that's been a big uh, focus of ours over the years. Like that's one of the qualified member requirements we have in the Crown Council is to do that uh, on a regular basis so that there's feedback uh, all the way around. It makes a huge, huge difference. And a big part of that that you just mentioned that I'd like you to comment on, probably the biggest complaint I hear from labs is about impressions that they get, and then they're expected to create a good quality product from an impression that's less than optimal. Right. So you've tackled that and solved it. What was your solution? Well, there's a there's a technique out there, and uh, I think most dentists listening have heard about it, and some may have even tried it, but they not they haven't had good results. But it's called the H and H impression H and H impression system, and this was developed by Dr. Jeffrey Hughes, and basically what it is, um, 
you put in a tray, it can be a triple tray. Now, I prefer the metal triple trays because you don't get any uh, distortion. But um, you make a little hole and you inject the, um, inject the impression material, and there's like a hydraulic force. And then, you know, the patient bites down, and there's this hydraulic force that forces it in, into the um, area below the margin. And it only sits in the mouth for three minutes, and then you pop it out. And you get fantastic impressions, you know, start to finish in, you know, six to seven minutes. And, uh, you know, it's highly accurate. Um, some dentists who try and have problems, usually the most common problem is the lab needs to put on an extra two or three, uh, you know, coats of dye spacer. If you do that, they'll go down and seat, you know, right away. It's going to be a drop-in crown. But, um, you know, if, if you're not familiar with that, uh, I don't want to do a commercial, but we do have a um, DVD of the H&H Technique, um, which is done by Dr. Dr. Joe Steve. And, and by the way, we lost one of our you know great colleagues. You know, Joe died about a month ago. Uh, I'm sure you heard about that, Steve. I did, yes. So you know, very sad. You know, really good guy. But uh, all the materials to um, to do the H&H impression technique are available at Joe's company. Kisco.com, K-I-S-C-O.com, and they have the impression material, uh, the tray. Um, you know, again, you need to watch a video to kind of understand all the nuances of the system. And again, if if you do it and you know the bite's too high and that type of thing, you're not using enough block out uh, on the dies. But great Got technique. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of success with it. Good, great, um, great advice. You know, a lot of dentists shy away from doing dentures because they're complicated and it's very difficult to get a really good fit and, and keep the patient happy. Tell us about your denture system. Well, what I use is called the three-appointment denture, and this comes from Kaler uh, Dental Lab in Wichita, Kansas. And I think they're the best lab in the country, uh, and I was referred to them by Dr. Earl Estep way back in, you know, 74 or 75 when I first heard Earl speak. And, uh, you know, all I can say is they're incredible. A lot of dentists, a lot of labs have trouble with the post-dam, particularly the butterfly post-dam. And, uh, you know, Kaler just, they have it nailed down. And uh, Don Kaler, the owner, uh, passed away a couple years ago, but his son Dennis has taken over. And, again, I mentioned that, um, I mentioned that DVD that shows how to do the H&H impression technique by Joe Steven. And on that same mm-hmm. DVD, um, he demonstrates how to do the three-appointment denture. So I would encourage everybody to get that. There's a little bit on YouTube, but not enough. And uh, you'll see the technique because uh, it's really the best way I know I would make dentures. And even if you do that technique and you send it to the wrong lab, you can have problems. So Kaler is a little bit more expensive, but they do awesome work, and I would at least give them a try. Got it. Great, great advice. Thank you. Uh, talk to us about Invisalign and six-month smiles and your opinion about both. Well, Invisalign, you know, I love Invisalign. Um, again, like I said earlier, it's kind of the next step past the Acusaguard, but um you know, a couple tips on uh, on Invisalign. You know, a patient comes in and says, you know, I'm here to see if um, I can get Invisalign, get my teeth straightened. And what I would say to the patient is, well, let me tell you a little bit about Invisalign. 
if you're one of these people who irons your sweatpants, then this is not going to work for you because it's going to be about 90 to 95% correction versus braces. And what that means is you might have a you know a little bit of spacing here, but uh, you know I would still recommend you're a good candidate for six or for um, Invisalign. But understand if you know we get to the end, there's still a little bit of spacing or maybe a little bit of rotation. We might have to put uh, braces on for a short period of time. Uh, the cool thing about Invisalign, as far as uh, the staff, it takes less than 15 minutes of doctor time to start Invisalign. And then the staff people would come in, take upper and lower impressions, take a bite, take uh, six uh, digital photographs, send the whole thing to the lab, and that's how it starts. And I actually know uh, one dentist who did an Invisalign day, and she did six. She started 16 cases in one day, and uh, 6,000 a case. And if you do the math, that's 96,000 dollars in one day. So, uh, you know, despite you know how much, how much it does as far as straightening the teeth, uh, I don't know anything else that can bring in that type of uh, income, I guess, unless you're doing a full-mouth rehab. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of, uh, of uh, Invisalign. And then, Steve, I think we were going to talk about six-month smiles. Uh, yes. You know, I, I know Ryan Swain very well. He's a dentist who developed this, and I think everybody listening knows about it. It's a great technique. Uh, you know, the big deal is they make a little stent, and that has the brackets in it so that when you put it in the mouth, uh, the brackets are exactly where they need to be. So it's kind of, I mean, it's very, very easy. Once you get the brackets on, you know, there's special wires that fit in. Uh, and what I remember about it, uh, when Ryan developed this technique, he posted on Dental Town that he was going to start doing, uh, you know, only uh, six-month smiles in his practice. And it got kind of brutal on Dental Town, and you know you've seen these things before, Steve. I think you know you follow some of these threads, and you know it's pretty interesting how mad some of these people get worked up over you know things like techniques and whatever. But anyway, he did this, and he was very, very successful. Uh, you know, just doing uh, six-month smiles. And then he started doing some seminars and you know reaching out to people, and understand that Ryan is uh, retired now, very young guy. But, uh, you know, his technique is used in dental offices all across the country. And if you are not doing it, uh, you absolutely need to do a couple cases because it's very easy. And there's a lot of people out there that would really benefit from it. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Building a good long-term healthy practice. Uh, you, You know, you've talked a lot about marketing. You've trained thousands and thousands of practices on on how to market their practice. At the end of the day, Woody, what is your real core philosophy about a good, stable, long-term practice and how to market it? Well, Steve, the best thing is to get a referral-based practice so you don't have to spend a lot of money marketing. Uh, Dr. Taylor Clark spoke at our uh, Destin seminar last year, and he has an 80% uh, referral-based practice. And there's all types of things you can do. We don't have time here to go through all of them, but one that he did I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, he uh, he bought a uh, pre-owned. He's just like me. Everything's pre-owned. I think my wife is pre-owned too. She was married before, but that's a whole different story. Isn't it? <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> but anyway, he goes and he buys a uh, red Ford. I'm sorry, a red Mustang convertible. 
Okay. And I think he bought it for only $14,000. He has the card detailed, looks like brand new. So he starts his contest with his patients, and it's basically who refers the most patients to our practice in the next six months, I'm going to give them this shiny red convertible Mustang. And then uh, they had this sign made, and you can go to Office Depot. These are these magnetic signs that you know stick to the side of a car. And yeah. on the side of the car, he goes, win this car, refer patients to It's All About You Dental Care. That's the name of his practice, All About You. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, in a six-month period, he got so many referrals, they just lost track. And he's got other things he does. He has a patient newsletter that he does himself, which is very nicely done. It stresses refer people to us. Uh, at the end of the month, they give out a uh, big check to charity, uh, percent of you know all the referral people sent in. So I don't have time to go over everything he does, but uh, it's pretty amazing. And by doing that, it saves marketing dollars. And I just have a few minutes left to talk about marketing, but let me tell you some mistakes that people make. Uh, beware of some of the marketing companies out there. Um, some are good, some are bad. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes I see is uh, a person goes to a marketing company and they're like, okay, we're going to mail out postcards within a five-mile radius uh, of your office. And, you know, again, what happens with that, you know, mailing out to that, um, you know, five-mile radius, a lot of those people um, already have a dentist. So what we recommend is that you just market to new move-ins because, you know, they're the people that need a dentist. Um, so that's kind of, you know, there's a lot to marketing. Uh, you know, just I could talk an hour about marketing, but, you know, the main thing uh, is to generate a referral-based practice so that you don't have to spend the marketing dollars. And the last thing I want to add is when times get slow, most dentists cut back on their marketing. And that's the opposite thing you need to do. You know, that's when you put more dollars into marketing. You know, average practice spends 5%. Uh, you know, startup might spend as much as 10% on marketing. But if you're doing 5% on your marketing and times slow up, then you might need to bump that up to 7 or 8% uh, for a while until things kick back in. But, uh, Steve, that's kind of a overview of the marketing. That's great. Good, um, good tips. Um, finally, uh, Woody, talk to us about, you know, back to the learning and continuing to learn study clubs, coaching, uh, all of those things. Tell us your philosophy and tips there. Steve, when we uh, first got out of school, uh, I was very fortunate to be invited to a uh, study club in New Albany, Indiana. And uh, there were some pretty heavy hitters in there. Uh, You know, I was a rookie, and it was an excellent opportunity Oftentimes, dentists in your hometown don't want to share their secrets or, you know, talk about numbers or anything like that. We were fortunate in this study club that we had, you know, some people from surrounding towns, not right in New Albany. But the deal was uh, we went to somebody's house every month, had dinner, and then we just sat down and talked about dentistry and, you know, here's something I've done that really works. Uh, Have you tried tried this? Some of the guys would bring in, you know, cases on articulators and, you know, show things that they were doing, new techniques. So it's just an excellent experience. And the entire time I was in practice, I was in some sort of a study group or, you know, study club. So I would highly recommend that. Um, if you are not in one, just ask around town or, um, you know, find them. Uh, sometimes it's going to take a little bit of time. Ask other dentists. But study clubs are out there, and I would highly recommend them. 
And then the next thing is has to do with with coaching. And Steve, you probably probably already know this, but you know there are people who have been in practice, you know, for 25 or 30 years, and they've never had a coach. It's kind of mm-hmm. like uh, down at Destin one year, uh, a couple guys were playing golf, and uh, I mean they were terrible. And you know they hit it in the water. They you know at the end of 18 holes they'd lost all all the balls. And and I asked this one guy. I said uh, I, I mentioned his name, Mark Trillo, who you might know or might uh, recognize but anyway mm-hmm. you know i said um, mark uh y'all been playing golf for 25 years and you're as bad now as you were 25 years ago you know why don't you take golf lessons and he's like well i don't need golf lessons and that's kind of the way it is with some dentists you know they, they would rather just keep doing what they're doing and you know kind of suck at it instead of uh you know getting some help so it's the same thing with dental practices uh in my career, I had eight different uh, consultants. Uh, you know, a couple were not as good as the others, but most of them really, really helped the practice. And kind of what I tell people is uh, a practice without a coach is like a car without a steering wheel. Yep. Because when you think about it, I mean, you got all these moving parts, and everybody's just kind of going on uh, hunches, and, you know, they don't have real good systems in place. They don't know what the numbers should be. Uh, they don't know what numbers to focus on. Well, I mean, there's so many things that uh, can be done. And, uh, Steve, I know there's a lot of coaching programs out there. Um, you know, we have one. Uh, and it, it's interesting because, you know, the coaches sometimes learn so much from the particip- participants in the uh, in the coaching, you know, club. Let me give you an example. We have a dentist down in Columbia, South Carolina, Dr. Dino, and we had a mastermind meeting and uh, for the coaching people, and he talked about something called Crown Day. Have you ever heard about that, Steve? Tell me about it. Okay. Um, what you do is you sit off one day of the week and say, we're going to do nothing but crowns on this day. So Friday was his day off, so he decided that, you know, the Friday three weeks from now is going to be Crown Day. So what they did... Um, they talked to all the patients who needed crowns and said, hey, uh, if you want to come in Friday the 23rd, Dr. Dino's going to be doing crown day, and if you come in, we're going to knock 100 bucks off your crown. And uh, so they did that, you know, talking to people. They went into their files, went into the, you know, practice software like Dentrix, got a list of people who had diagnosed but undone crowns, sent out emails to them, and before they knew it, that day was, you know, jam-packed. And on the first day they tried Crown Day, and there were some glitches, uh, he did $42,000, and that was in addition to what the hygienist did that Friday. So that's wow. Crown Day. And that's something that, uh, you know, he, uh, well, all the people in the, in the group never would have known about had it not been for a coaching program and part of the coaching program, uh, you know, the mastermind, you know, sessions. So I'm a big fan of coaching. Uh, you know, back when I taught school, uh, taught biology. You know, I was coaching the team back then, and the practice is, is no different. I mean, you just can't go it alone. You have to have uh, people to come in and, you know, help you along the way. And, you know, we have had uh, so much success with, you know, coaching. And, Steve, I know you all have had the same uh, success with the dentist you work with. Yeah. What do you have, like, you have done an amazing job here. This last hour has been packed with 
amazing stuff. This has been great. Let me run through the list for everybody real quick. So here's Dr. Woody Oaks, 21 things that have made him a better dentist. Number one, discover why you became a dentist. Number two, learn early to give back and do good. Number three, uh, find good mentors. Woody's was his first uh, continuing education experience was with Dr. Earl Estep. Uh, number four, uh, Dr. Estep's book, The Obvious Secret. Number five, start lean and mean. Watch your overhead. Number six, get rid of debt. Number seven, pick a great visible location for your office. Number eight, uh, do good marketing. Make sure you have good signage and have a good focus on new move-ins for your marketing effort. Number nine, hire the right team. Number 10, train your team through team meetings and seminars. Number 11, do, learn to do what's best for each patient. Don't hard sell. Number 12, make sure you do the proper case presentation and use Woody's uh, PASS system, P-A-S. 13, don't be a jack of all trades. Uh, learn to do the things that you love to do very well, but don't become a, a, a referodontist. Number 14, become a lifelong student. Number 15, feel the fear and do it anyway. And uh, Woody referred to his oral surgery lesson from Dr. John Lyons, doing four wisdom teeth in 12 minutes. Number 16, visit your dental lab on your day off and learn from your lab technician. Number 17, use the H&H &H impression technique. Number 18, learn the three-appointment denture technique from Kaler Dental Lab. Number 19, uh, use Invisalign and six-month smiles. Number 20, develop an 80% referral-based practice. And number 21, get involved in study clubs and coaching. Woody, you've been amazing. Let me uh, uh, just mention one thing that you and I have been working on. We met well over 20 years ago when Walter Haley and I came at your invitation to speak at one of your first spring break seminars in Destin, Florida. And this year coming up in April, you're doing your 25th anniversary spring break seminar in Destin. I'm looking forward to being there. Tell us very quickly about what you have planned for that big event. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun, Steve. Uh, we have, like you say, we've been doing this for 25 years, which is kind of hard to believe. But we are inviting back uh, all the past speakers uh, who have spoken at Destin. And, uh, you know, some of the names you would recognize, Bill Dorfman, Larry Rosenthal. Uh, by the way, Larry is Donald Trump's uh, dentist, which is kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, inviting all those people back, uh, we are trying to get um, – all people who have attended Destin to come on back. Uh, I spoke uh, yesterday to a couple I haven't seen in years, and you know I told them that this is our 25th anniversary. So uh, we're just going to have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, Baytown for those of you who have been down to Destin, uh, a lot going on there. Uh, you know, as far as the bands and all the activities. And if you've never been to Destin, we heard, we hold it uh, at the Sand Destin Resort. Uh, I think there's four or five golf courses there, tennis center uh, for the ladies. It's uh, across the street is the uh, 
designer uh, shopping mall, which is pretty much incredible. So there's a lot to do, but the, the main thing is you're going to rub shoulders with some of the uh, some of the best dentists in the country, and that's where all the learning is. I mean, you learn listening to the lectures, but uh, it's out in the hallways and having lunch with somebody. Uh, that's where you learn so much. But we're looking forward to it. Uh, I hope that people on the call will you know, take a couple of days out of their schedule and come down to Destin, Florida, and join us for what should be a really great event. So, Woody, that's April 14th through 16, 2016, in Destin, Florida. Uh, to register, tell us where we go. Uh, to register, call 1-800-DESTIN-7. Again, that's 1-800-DESTIN, that's D-E-S-T-I-N-7. Uh, and we'll get you set up and ready to go. And by the Fantastic. way, uh, if, you, if you sign up before December 31st, there's a substantial discount in the tuition. Got it. Well, Woody, I'm looking forward to that meeting. Uh, it's been that, that whole experience over the years has been one of my favorite things. And, and some of my, in fact, uh, one of my most vivid memories is speaking in Destin with Walter with Larry Rosenthal and Bill Dickerson and Dave Hornbrook all sitting on the front row. That's been a yeah. few years ago. <laughs> so looking forward to coming back and doing that. Thank you so much for your time today. You have shared some great wisdom and some great tips. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today, and thank you for the, the decades of service and giving and uh, great things you've done for dentistry. You continue to make a big difference for dentists everywhere. So thank you on behalf thank of all you, of us. Steve. Good talk to you today.